I, I think the biggest wow wow factor for us right now is, you know, like you could connect Materialize to 10 or 12 different streams of data and just join them all together. And you just sort of hit enter and you will just start getting streaming join results out on your terminal. And no other tool really has that response time. There's plenty of tools that will do this in batch where you can sort of define this query and then sort of go off for lunch and come back later and then you get your answer. But that instant snappiness is something we focused on because that really shows the power like right there in the first 10 minutes of using your product. I'm Arjun Narayan. I'm co-founder and CEO of Materialize. This is Code Story a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Arjun Naraya convinced his team to commercialize the best database for streaming data. All this and more on Code Story. Arjun Narayan grew up in India, programming as a kid. He came to America for college, thrown into the scene cold, but really liked it. He studied computer science at Williams College in Massachusetts and did his PhD at Penn, focusing on distributed systems, security, privacy, and scalability. His doctorate taught him how to write at length, but out of the norm, he knew early on he didn't want to be an academic. He's married with a young son, and he really enjoys being a father. Today, his life consists of his startup, and his young family, which are about the same age. As he was a grad student doing his PhD, he came across a set of papers written by his co-founder about a more capable incremental compute engine. After several years of persuasion, Arjun convinced him that they needed to start a company to commercialize the solution. This is the creation story of Materialize. So Materialize is a database built to work with streaming data. And streaming data, if you're not familiar, is data that is changing very fast. Think milliseconds. The old school way, if you, if you sort of rewind the clock a couple decades, what you would find is there are databases that are very optimized for writing things down very quickly. These would be called transactional databases, Oracle's, your, your Microsoft SQL servers. And then you'd have, you'd have these analytical databases that would get these overnight dumps of data where they would compute more sophisticated analytical queries and produce reports, charts, Power BI tools. But fundamentally, those analytical databases were designed to process their data, roughly speaking, overnight, right? So, so you could maybe push this to three or four times a day, but analytical databases operate on large data sets that are updated very infrequently. The trade-off here is if you have complex queries that need to be up to date, sort of second by second or minute by minute, there really wasn't a database that would help you get there. And you'd find a lot of folks who have those needs build and operate massive distributed systems that they custom build by, by hand. This is, you know, 100 times more manual labor intensive than using a database that, that does a lot of the heavy lifting for you. Materialize is a database built from the ground up to be able to ingest changes to the data set millisecond by millisecond at extremely high volume and keep answers 
updated ahead of time so that you don't have to essentially wait till tomorrow morning to get the refresh of the new data points incorporated. There's obvious applications to this. A great example is probably, you know, the finance application sort of obvious, but it's much beyond that, right? Anybody who fundamentally has a business process that is gated on updating views of the latest pieces of data all from supply chain to logistics to advertising to to personalization all of these different uh, industries really do benefit from operating on the latest and, and greatest piece of information rather than trying to work off of yesterday's information or or spend a lot of effort predicting data that you know the left hand of the organization already knows but the right hasn't gotten around to the right hand yet so the right hand has to has to expend immense amounts of effort to sort of predict things that they could just stream from from other parts of the organization if they had the capability to do so I'm familiar with sockets and database. Tell me how how materialize is different from a sockets type setup or like a a subscription type setup or is it similar? Tell me a little bit more about that. You've highlighted one aspect of, of moving data around in real time, which is the data movement, right? Which is just getting the data from point A to point B in a few milliseconds. And that the transport layer is absolutely an important prerequisite part of a real-time data strategy. Tools like Apache Kafka have greatly simplified moving the data around uh, from point A to point B. But where there still is a gap, and this is the gap that Materialize hopes to close, is the tooling around making it simple. to manipulate these streams of data and do these more complex analyses using the tools and techniques that people have been familiar with and namely this is SQL right so today when we think i have i have a large data set it's fairly complex it's structured there's lots of different data points and i want to use some tools to do the heavy lifting of the actual compute people typically reach for a SQL database the problem is sort of old school SQL databases are not designed to be quickly updating their answers as the underlying data changes they pretty much sort of throw out their answers and start start recomputing once the a new piece of a new data point comes in materialize is sort of designed to be this compute layer so we 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 don't deal in the moving the data from point A to point B right yet there's this there's plenty of mature tooling there we deal in the once you've moved that data to us once you point those fire hose of fast changing data to materialize we can keep the sql queries up to date even if the update volume is you know this is hundreds of thousands of new data points coming in per second it's really about performance and speed it's not so much the pipes it's the end point where you would point these pipes to that would give you the most uh, leverage the way materialize came about was actually as i was a grad student doing my phd i came across a set of papers written by who is now my co-founder frank mcsherry about the massively more capable completely new incremental compute engine You know, he had been writing these theoretical papers which were groundbreaking and award-winning and he'd been doing some of this research at Microsoft research where he was and then later on as an independent academic at a few universities these papers were really describing a very transformational way to do incremental compute when the rates of change of the data are very very fast and very very large in volume I was fascinated and thought this was sort of obviously commercializable. He was more of an academic who wasn't as interested in the commercialization aspects and was sort of deeply involved in the theoretical and practical aspects of building such a system. Um and and it took several years to convince him that commercialization was the correct step to advance this technology and and, and uh that's really sort of the 
genesis of Materialize is it, it, it took a certain number of years to convince him that uh, you know we should start a company. Let's jump into the MVP. So tell me about the MVP. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? I think database MVP is almost like blush to use the word MVP because there's almost nothing minimal about it. Like databases are just these very large projects. Like a database isn't very useful in parts. Obviously, you can break things down into components that you can test independently and you can verify work solidly independently. But fundamentally, Frank, my co-founder, had been building the core database engine for about four years before we even started the company. And this was actually being built as an open source project and being deployed, even though a database engine is very difficult to deploy. I think an analogy to a car engine is quite apt. There's very few buyers who will buy a much, much more powerful engine and then sort of rip out the engine that they have in, in their own car and put that in. You kind of need to sell the full car. You need to you need to build the doors and the and the steering column and the seats, if you will, to, to really get uh, adoption for a much more differentiated database engine. After we started Materialize, it took us a solid year to build the rest of the database to even a minimal acceptable standard. Several of us actually had been at uh, Cockroach Labs, which is a database company in a different market, but with many of the same uh, pieces that you would need to build minimally. Cockroach and Materialize are different markets, you know, sort of they sell trucks, we sell hot rods, right? Like so so we don't overlap on customers, but you still you still really benefit from knowing how to build steering columns if you move from one market to the other. In my experience, there's very few successful databases that don't have that knowledge transfer from other large-scale distributed systems projects and database projects in their past sort of employment experience. So with any MVP, right, you have to make certain decisions and trade-offs. You have to cut features or you have to accept technical debt in certain areas. So tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs that you had to make and how did you cope with those decisions? We've definitely had to be fairly ruthless in prioritizing which features we would build to completion and which ones we would hold. So there's several things that we haven't done yet in in Materialize. Uh, The biggest ones are sort of building a persistence durability layer to store the data. So Materialize is a little bit unusual today. And and although this is definitely on the roadmap for, for 2021, today Materialize does not store any of this data. It's purely a compute plane on top of an external system for storing your streams of data. And the reason we made this determination was quite simple. The ecosystem is very mature in the storage of these streams, primarily through Apache Kafka, but also sort of competitors to Kafka. And so using these two systems in tandem gives you the best of both worlds and allows us to cut scope and focus on a differentiated compute and query engine experience without having to, on day one, have a fully built out persistence layer. So you have the product, you know, you've made some cuts on it, but you've got it out and you've got some feedback. How did you progress the product from there and how did you mature it? And I think what I'm interested in most is how you built your roadmap. How did you figure out what was the next most important thing to build? One advantage in a database is because there's such a mature technology, I, I think in terms of tooling, 
it, it's probably the second oldest sort of thing with a defined shape after, say, like the Unix sort of tool set. SQL is a is a is a mature language with with you know thirty forty years behind it. I don't even know it. It sort of predates me in some sense, and and so and so that gives you a pretty clear outline of of what you have to build support for. However, that doesn't help you answer prioritization. The SQL standard is you know says like a thousand page book, right? And and yes, you do eventually plan to get to ninety nine percent coverage over that. But how do you prioritize what you're going to do in year one? What are you going to do in year three? Year five? Year ten? And we found it very, very valuable to have the entire team, the engineering team, right down to all the engineers, spend a lot of their time talking to customers. It almost seems like you know too much time, but I think that's when it is. It, that is the correct trade-off: is to spend that much time talking to the users, understanding what their main frustrations are, understanding where their existing tools fall short, and closing those gaps in our current product. Because that's how you fundamentally, I think, delight your users into wanting to use your tool as opposed to anybody else's. I love that you said delight the users. How do you feel like materialize? Focuses on that, or how does materialize bring that to light with their product? I, I think the biggest wow wow factor for us right now is, you know, like you can connect materialize to ten or twelve different streams of data and just join them all together, and you just sort of hit enter, and you will just start getting streaming join results out on your terminal, and no other tool really has that response time. There's plenty of tools that will do this in batch, where you can sort of define this query and then sort of go off for lunch and come back later, and then you get your answer. But that instant snappiness is something we focused on because that really shows the power, like right there in the first ten minutes of using your product. Absolutely, that re- that real time and that quickness is super valuable. So let's switch to team. How did you build your team? And and tell me what you looked for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you. I'm a strong believer that this is the single most important job of building a startup is 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 building the right team. Several of the folks that we sort of worked with in the early part of the team, uh, we had previously worked with in previous jobs or or sort of as research collaborators. So uh, I think I think that's that's obviously the first pool that you draw from. Um, we fairly early on developed a pretty comprehensive interview process and spent a sort of unimaginable amount of time uh, sourcing, interviewing, and onboarding. I actually think. Funnily enough, people often do get it right and emphasize interviews a lot, but then they kind of drop the ball on onboarding. You kind of want to spend almost as much time onboarding these people after you've spent all this effort selecting and 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 convincing them to join. Right? It's like convincing people to join is almost as much work as 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 it's not just whether you want them; it's whether they want you as well. Um, and after that, you still have to spend about as much time um, onboarding them and making sure that they are successful in their job. What we look for most is this intellectual rigor, almost honesty to a fault, because building these large-scale systems, especially on fairly deep theoretical grounds, requires a lot of rigorous thinking and and building. One of one of our one of the big benefits we have is is having had a lot of time working on a database project before or big data uh, distributed systems projects before. Um, we do certainly look for that, although that's not necessary. We have several members of our team who are very successful who have not sort of worked on big data distributed systems in the past, um, but it is certainly one of the things we do look for. 
So let's talk about scalability. And I assume this is a huge part of you know what you considered as you were building Materialize. But tell me about scalability. Did you build it in the beginning to scale efficiently? Or was this something you were fighting as you gained some traction and grew? Uh, the biggest, biggest asset and advantage we have as as a company is the fact that the theoretical groundwork for this was was laid by Frank, you know, years and years before we even thought about commercialization. Right. So this the scalability, the theoretical, the theoretically deep structure to execute these queries in a distributed fashion is all baked in long before and, and needed to be baked in long before. I think I think most successful big data and database uh, projects look like this where the rigorous theoretical work long precedes um, any any notion of commercialization as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built with materialize what are you most proud of i think we've, we've had a very positive reception from sort of the wider developer community and i think one of the reasons for that is as we've been communicating what we've been building, we've been sort of scrupulously honest. Like we, I think we've done a good job at not overselling. Like for instance, we're talking about the features that we lack, talking about the, the, the missing things that we are focusing on building. I think that has engendered a lot of trust and that's what I'm most proud of. And that's something that, you know, you can lose it in a day, right? It takes, takes, takes a decade to build and you can lose it in a day. And I'm very proud that we have put in the foundations of that. And that's what I want to double down on and triple down on over the years. I want to sort of be scrupulously honest about our capabilities, how we're addressing any missing features um, and, and never really shooting from the hip or overstating our claims. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. I'm trying to think, not that we haven't made mistakes. Uh, I'm sure we have. I'm trying to think of a mistake that we've made that we sort of fully digested and then sort of fully reflected on. I actually think, uh, I, I don't know if this is a mistake, but let, let, let me sort of talk about sort of things that we could have done better, right? I, I, I think as we built the team, we didn't always have this early focus on talking to the customers. I think in retrospect, maybe maybe that came on a little bit later. I think in the first six months, we were pretty pretty sort of down in our own uh, kind of metaphorical basement hard at work. Uh, maybe we could have gotten started with that even earlier than we did. Uh, I, think, I think this past year we've been extremely customer centric um and that could have that could have come in earlier so some of the mistakes i think are, are even even things that we do do well well maybe we could have come to that conclusion a little bit earlier and we would be even ahead of where we are now well, what does the future look like for materialize the product and for your team we're growing the team so we raised our series b we raised a 32 million dollar series b a few months ago and, and almost entirely the entire purpose of that money is to hire and build out our team to a much larger sort of size so we can tackle the scope of all the things we're building. So while we're currently at, at about 25, we, we were looking to double our headcount this year. That also means a huge amount of investment in onboarding and retaining our culture as we as we grow. The product, I think, is, is the least surprising. I mean, there's all these missing features that we'd like to you know, build. We'd like to get get more resilient, more scalable, and, and all those things that people expect in, in the future. 
how do you expect to go about becoming more resilient? So that's an interesting thing you bring up because as a team grows, you want to keep that same sort of day one mentality or gritty mentality of the early days. So how do you how do you propose to do that? So we've always been a little bit more of a written culture of communicating in in a little bit more formal fashion with with sort of longer form thoughts written out. Um, one of the things that 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 helps is it actually forms. I think there's the biggest advantage is you actually you form this written record that people can refer back to when they join, say a year later, right? So they can first thing people often do when they join is sort of read all of the all hands that because every all hands we have every week is 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 written down as a multi-page document. So you can go back and see how we were thinking right from the very beginning, um, right from the very first board meeting to where where we are, how how our thinking has evolved today. I think that helps to transmit the grittiness of the early days even even if things look a little bit more polished today and, and keep that culture in as we expand and grow well, let's switch to you arjun who influences the way that you work name a ceo cto architect really any person name a person you look up to and why i have a very sort of clear answer here and and sort of going into my history that i sort of skipped over a little bit after my PhD, I worked at Cockroach Labs for two and a half years, a database company that's doing wonderfully well. And I learned a lot of what it means to build a database from the ground up. The, the person who sort of taught me the most is uh, the CEO, Spencer Kimball. He's a wonderful person. He was a very open, transparent leader. Pretty much every day, every week, I, I sort of put myself in, in his shoes and think what would he have done in this position. And sort of take that as my single biggest leadership example that I try to live up to every day. Uh, he's wonderful. When I started, when I was even thinking of starting Matrilla, he was the first person I even went to when I was still an employee at Cockroach. I remember telling him that, hey, I was thinking of doing this thing. What did he think? Um, he was probably the most supportive anybody could possibly be. I mean, the first words out of his mouth were, I would like to invest. He was the first check-in. He helped me set up the company. He helped me fundraise. Yeah, I mean, and he didn't have to do any of that, right? Um, but beyond that, uh, even when I was at Cockroach, the way he would stand up and present every week and, and be very honest with uh, any questions that came up and would sort of share and be extremely transparent what was going on behind the scenes, what was going on at the board, how each investor was thinking. And all of that is is incredibly valuable when you're starting a company or you're running your own company because the data points that you can look to are so few and far between that just having that one example of excellence to follow is is probably the the most valuable thing you can take we talked about mistakes but maybe a different you know different spin on a, a question if you could go back to the beginning what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach i don't know i mean i we're in such a good place that I'm sort of terrified. I don't know the unknown unknowns of what, <laughs> what if you change, sure. what are the sort of unknown consequences of making that change? It's, it's sort of a terrifying question, right? Like, um, I like where we are. I very much like where we are. I very much like, there's so many different little things you could change. Like, what if, what if we went with that investors of this invest, but like our investors are great. We love them. I don't want to, I don't want to re-roll the dice. No, like, doesn't matter, right? When you are in this sort of fantastic position that we find ourselves in, I'm not sure I would change anything is really what I would say. I hear a lot that, you know, knowing what I know now, I may do something differently moving forward, but we wouldn't have got here without every step that we took. 
That's good stuff. Well, last question, Arjun. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? So so the biggest thing I would encourage almost anybody who has entrepreneurial aspirations is find a best in class business in your field and join them early at the series A or series B stage and really understand how a business is built from the ground up for a couple of years before doing it your doing it yourself. I think I think that early experience in watching a startup grow is 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 irreplaceable. I think I've I've benefited from it hugely to to sort of have been there at Cockroach. I think I was the 20th employee, so I wasn't there at the very very beginning, but just watching and seeing how that company scaled the team, scaled the culture, communicated that that was invaluable and and you I don't think you can get it any other way. I, I the biggest mistake I see folks with entrepreneurial ambitions do is going to Google or Facebook. You're not going to learn that there. It just it doesn't it, it's almost irrelevant whether that company ends up succeeding or failing, although of course you want it to succeed. Um but if you've joined a team with high quality people and and when I say quality I mostly just mean sort of they're open and they're transparent and they're honest almost to a fault and you learn from them this this sort of this apprenticeship experience cannot really be replaced by reading a book or 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 doing something entirely on your own without that experience Largen thank you for being on the show today thank you for telling the creation story of materialize thank you so much it was a pleasure to be on the show And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.